Angels are a fascinating topic, and yet with all the theories concerning them, how can we know what's fact and what's fiction? In his book called Angels, Dr. David Jeremiah uses scripture to help readers of all ages understand the truth about these agents of heaven. You'll receive angels with our thanks for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for a donation of $70 or more, we'll send you the angels set, which includes a book, study guide, and CD album. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. In Scripture, angels are most notably seen as messengers and soldiers. But other angels have a special role to perform when a believer dies. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares the details of that job description and takes a closer look at what else happens the moment you pass from your earthly life into eternity. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Angels and Death, here's David. And thank you for joining us today. This is Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. We are studying together uh, the doctrine of angels. What that means is we've gone through the Bible and found all the places where angels uh, are mentioned and determined uh, what they all are about. That's how you study historic theology. You go through and read all the scriptures and put them together and and you learn, and we're learning a lot about angels. We've talked about garden angels, and uh, we've talked about the different mentioned angels like Gabriel and Michael. Uh, we, we have talked about hell's angels and the fallen angel. Today, we're going to finish up our discussion of angels and death. What role does an angel have when you die or when, you, when your parents die? When somebody you love dies, do angels get involved? We're going to go back to a story in the New Testament, and from that story, we can draw the um, interpretation that we're going to share today. Very encouraging time. I hope you'll stay with us. We have uh, some things to tell you about before we get started. Uh, we have a beautiful book on angels that is available. It's 240 pages, soft cover book, and it's uh, a book that separates fact from fiction about angels and provides in-depth biblical information about the topic of angels. It's down to earth, easy to understand, and it's the book upon which this series is based. If you'd like to have this, you can ask for it when you send a gift of any size. You may already have that book, and if so, here are a couple other options. You can order the Y Nativity uh, video by simply saying, please send me the video uh, on Y the Nativity, and you'll get the whole DVD for a gift of any size during the month of November. And that's pretty cool because you'll have it in time for Christmas and share it with your family and with your friends, a beautiful video portraying the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's part two of Angels and Death. Let's jump in and... See how this ends. In the Old Testament, when a person died and they believed in God, they went to paradise, Abraham's bosom. If they were not a believer, they went to the same place everybody goes to now, waiting for the time when they will be cast forever into hell. They went to the lowest part of Sheol, sometimes referred to as Hades. Now, the interesting thing is that in the New Testament, in Ephesians 4, 8, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, he went and took captivity captive. And many believe that at that moment, what happened was he went to the upper level, to paradise, and all the Old Testament saints who were there waiting the crucifixion were set free from their captivity and taken to heaven to be with the Lord forever. So that today, when a believer dies, they don't go to paradise, they go to be with God in heaven, 
We are living on the other side of the cross. So it is true to say what Paul said. Listen to me. Absent from the body, which is what death is, and present with the Lord immediately in heaven. When Jesus ascended on to his home, taking with him the spirits of just men made perfect, he took paradise out of commission and made heaven the final place where all believers will ultimately go. Now, having said all of that, I want you to turn with me to a passage in Luke 16, which will help us understand what this has to do with angels. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and following. We have a story here, which Jesus told, that will help us understand how this all fits together in our theme for these weeks on what does the Bible say about angels. Like many other stories in the Bible, this is the record of two people who were in contrast to each other. I'm enamored with that particular thought because as I study the New Testament, I find it over and over and over again. One of the greatest teaching tools that Jesus used in his stories and that is found in New Testament scripture is taking one person over here and another person over here and showing how their conduct, their lifestyle, their destiny, their philosophy is different from this person over here. If you keep that in your mind when you read the New Testament, you will find it almost without question every time you open the Bible. For instance, let me give you some illustrations of that. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. You remember that story? Two men hung on the cross next to Jesus. One man received Jesus Christ and the other one rejected him. Two brothers grew up in the same family. One took his inheritance and ran away from home. He later repented and returned. The other kept his inheritance, stayed at home, and we don't know that he ever repented. Isn't that interesting? Two men owed money they could not pay. One man was forgiven a great amount. Then he turned around and would not forgive one who owed a much lesser amount. Two women lived in the same house. One was devoted to Jesus in her personal life and the other was busy about many things. In the Gospel of John, we read about the woman who took all that she had and gave it to Jesus. And in the very same context is the story of Judas who was the treasurer for the disciples. And I love the language of the New Testament. It says he took the bag and he bore it away, which is a New Testament euphemism for the fact that he stole the money. In the same context, in all of these stories, there is something to be learned from the contrast and the comparison of the two people. Do you see it? Now, the story to which we have opened in Luke chapter 16 I believe has the greatest diversity between two people that you will find any place in the Bible. Here are two men as different as they can possibly be. Read with me verses 19 and 20. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. Now, the rich man, as some of you know, is sometimes called by the name Dives. You'll not find that in the Bible, but the word Dives is the Latin Vulgate for being rich. And so we kind of associated that name with this wealthy man. Lazarus is the only person in any of Jesus' stories who's ever given a name. 
Sometimes people say this is not a real story, but I think it's a true story. Lazarus was somebody Jesus knew. And Jesus could see through to the end of all that would happen. Now, the Bible tells us that Dives, the rich man, is clothed in purple and fine linen, and it says he fared sumptuously every day. Verse 25 tells us that he enjoyed his good things. He lived a lavish life, and he paraded his wealth for everybody to see. He was a flamboyant, wealthy person. The poor man called Lazarus was a beggar. And the Bible says he was laid down daily at the gate of the rich man. The language of the New Testament literally says he was thrown down daily. It gives you the picture of them driving the cart next to the rich man's house and just pushing him off the edge until he rolled over by the gate. He was hoping somehow to get just a few crumbs that had fallen from the table of this very wealthy man. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus was covered with sores the Bible says the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 25 tells us that Lazarus received evil things throughout his life. Now watch carefully, class. Only a gate separated these two men. Lazarus lying outside the gate in misery and Dives inside the gate in luxury and comfort. Someone has described the differences between these two men in this paragraph. Listen. Dives is covered with purple and fine linen. Lazarus is covered only with sores. Dives fares sumptuously. Lazarus desires to be fed with the crumbs. Dives has numerous attendants to wait on his every need. Lazarus has only the dogs to lick his sores. Now, before you make any false assumptions about this story, let me tell you, This is not about being rich and poor. The fact is, this is about being with God or outside of God. Here is a story of a poor man who knew God and a rich man who did not. And I can prove to you that this is not a message about being wealthy because remember when Lazarus died, where did he go? He went to whose bosom? Abraham's. And who was Abraham? Only the wealthiest person who had lived on the earth up until that time. This is about whether you know God or whether you don't know God. And Jesus told this story so that we could understand that wealth and a way with God do not come together. That poverty and not knowing God are not necessarily synonyms, but it's what our relationship with God is that really counts, no matter what we have in this world. And then the Bible tells us that these two men came to the end of earth's days. And I'm not going to tell the rest of the story except what happened next. These two men lived out their life and apparently Lazarus died first and then Dives died a short time afterward. It's not hard to imagine the servants coming into Dives one day and saying, you know the beggar who used to be out by the gate? He didn't come in this morning. We checked into it and he died. He was probably buried in Gehenna, which was the dump because there was no place to bury him. But I want you to read with me verse 22. For this is the key to this whole story. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. (laughs) That is a wonderful truth. In his lifetime, the beggar had dogs as his companions. But when it came time to die, the angels took him to a land that is fairer than day. 
And listen up, here's the truth, class. All believers, no matter how poor and lowly you may think you might be, all believers have angels as their convoys at death into the presence of King Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And please notice, it wasn't that the angels were just with him. It doesn't say they went with him to heaven. It says they carried him. The angels carried Lazarus, who perhaps by that moment in time was willing to be carried. And we have it on the authority of Jesus himself that God sends his angels for us as we end this earthly life and begin eternal life in heaven. I've officiated at a lot of memorial services. And I have heard people say when they have lost a loved one something like this. You know, Pastor, I was with Mom when she died, and, and the angels came and took her. And some folks say that's just sentimentalism born out of the grief of the moment. But I say to you that it is not sentimentalism. It is the answer of the Word of God concerning what happens at that awesome moment for each one of us. Angels come to convey us to heaven. Now you say, well, why would they do that? Why would angels come to take a person's soul or body to heaven? Why would they do that? I've thought about that. And I want to give you a theological reason. And then I want to give you the reason that I think is even more important than that. First of all, folks, it's a long way between heaven and earth. The third heaven where Jesus is, is way up yonder. There's a lot of endless space between here and there. And if the spirit is to return to God, then it must pass through this incredible stretch of atmosphere. Now, let me ask you a question. Those of you who have been listening during this series, who rules and reigns out there in that incredible space? Do you remember Ephesians 2.2? Ephesians 2.2 says, we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's Satan. That's his domain out there, isn't it? And then Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age, watch this, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So maybe the reason angels come to get us, to take us from here up to there is because there's a little bit of static between here and there, you know? The enemy himself is out there ruling and God wants to make sure we get from where we are to where we're going and he's going to make sure we have a convoy taking us there. I'm okay with that, are you? I'm all right with that. But I think there's another reason and I never would have thought of this but I was reading a book called Somewhere Angels written by a friend of mine named Larry Libby. And Larry Libby said this, he said, no one likes to go on trips all alone. What fun would that be? Can you imagine riding the front car at Thunder Mountain in Disneyland and having no one to scream and laugh with? Can you imagine watching the sun set over a still mountain lake, making the water glow like red fire beneath a glass window and having no one to watch it with you? Can you imagine peeking over into the wild, solemn beauty of the Grand Canyon when winter snow clings to the little bushes and red rocks and not being able to turn to someone and say, wow, look at that. Most of us don't like to see new places alone. Most of us don't like to keep beautiful things to ourselves. Something in us wants to share the things that will fill our hearts. Something in us wants someone to be there. Now he wrote, some fine day, you and I will see heaven for the very first time. 
Someday you and I will just step right out of this life and journey to God's good home. And that home will be so very much better than Disneyland and sunsets and mountain lakes and snowy canyons that I can't even tell you how much. And I don't think God means for us to be alone when we travel to that new home. Now, I don't think he's that kind of a father. I think he says, just as soon as it's time for you to leave, I'll send someone to bring you. You won't be alone. You won't be afraid. You won't have to find your own way. And the person I will send knows the way very well. And think of this. The angel gets to be there when you see the shining beauty of your forever home for the very first time. When your eyes fly open and your mouth drops open and the tears of happiness rush to your eyes and you say, oh my goodness, it's more beautiful than I could ever have dreamed. Is this really my new home? And the angel gets to be there and share in it all. God loves his angels just like he loves you. So when it comes to leaving earth for heaven, wrote Libby, there's nothing to worry about. Children of God never miss the bus. Children of God never wait for the next plane. God wants you home so much that he'll send his own angel to meet you. And then I love this. And don't be surprised if the angel's wearing a big smile. No wonder when we understand what the Bible says that we read in the history of Christianity, the stories of some of God's greatest men. And in the record of their home going, we think, is that real? Could that really be what happened? I remember reading the story of D.L. Moody's going to be with the Lord. D.L. Moody was aware that death was at hand and he said, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. And it appeared as though he was dreaming. And then he said, no, this is no dream. It is beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There's no valley here. God's calling me and I must go. Having been given up for dead, Moody revived to indicate that God had permitted him to see beyond that thin veil separating the seen from the unseen world. And he had been within the gates and beyond the portals, he said. And he had caught a glimpse of familiar faces whom he had loved long since and lost a while. Then he could remember, he said, when he had proclaimed so vociferously earlier in his ministry, and this is a statement for which he was famous, he said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned unto his glorious body, that which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. D.L. Moody. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English preacher, once said, if I may die as I have seen some die, I court the grand occasion. I would not wish to escape death by some byroad if I may sing as they sang. If I may have such hosannas and hallelujahs beaming in my eyes as I have seen as well as heard from them, it were a blessed thing to die, said Charles Spurgeon. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, that doesn't make any sense. People talking about death. Well, it doesn't. Unless you got this book in your hand. Some of you said, well, this is in conflict with the whole way I think. You know, I've got to tell you a little story that will help you understand this. A preacher was preaching to a group of children. And he asked the question to the whole group. How many of you want to go to heaven? And all the children in the whole group raised their hand except one little boy. And the preacher walked back to the back row where the little boy was sitting 
very concerned. He said, young man, he said, don't you want to go to heaven? He shook his head. He said, young man, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? Oh, yes, he said, when I die. But I thought you were getting up a load for tonight. You know, (laughs) I mean, that's kind of how most of us feel, isn't it? You know, we want to go to heaven when we die. And I got to tell you, along with this truth is this truth, friends, that God puts within the heart of every one of us on this earth, the incredible desire to prolong life. I know about that. It's a wonderful power. Life is precious. But isn't it wonderful that when it ends, it just gets better? That's what the word of God says. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, wrote, Lord, when I leave this mortal ground and thou shalt bid me rise and come, send a beloved angel down, safe to convey my spirit home. That's the way it is for believers. There really isn't anything to fear. It's not something that we want to experience until our time has come. But God has taken care of it all for those of us. And for some of you who have lost loved ones in this last year, let me just encourage you. What your believing loved one experienced is far better than anything you can imagine. Write the best story you can write, and it's ten times better still. For I have not seen, neither ear heard, what God has prepared for those that love him. Could I remind you it is not this way for everyone? One of the problems with many of the NDE books that are out now is that it appears as if whether you know God or you don't know him, everything is wonderful. That's how we know these things are not from God because that's not true, is it? It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment, says the word of God. And if you do not know Jesus Christ in a personal way, all the things that I've been talking about, about the blessedness of death for those who know the Lord, don't apply to you at all. There is no indication that Dives had any convoy to take him to the grave or to Hades. And that's where he is and where he will be forever and ever. I tell you that in all of our hearts, there is this inward message, this inward urging to deal with this subject, whether we like to admit it or not, whether it pops out once in a while or not, it's true. Down inside, the Bible says that some people live all their lives in bondage out of the fear of death. And I know people like that because it is the one thing that brings us all up short and reminds us of the uncertainty of life. When George Bush was vice president of the United States, he represented our country at the funeral of former Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev. Bush reported later that he was deeply moved by a silent protest carried out in Brezhnev's funeral by his widow. And this is what he reported. He said, she stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before it was closed. Then just as the soldiers touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. There in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong. And she hoped that there was another life and that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and that that same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. She made the sign of the cross 
on his dead body. I tell you, she is not unlike anyone in this world today who has a moment to think seriously about what happens when this life is finished. She is not like any of you here today who have never trusted Christ as your Savior. We all think seriously about eternity when we face it in some way or another. And so uh, when you think about it, what do you think about? Are you ready? Are you ready for what's coming uh, next in your eternal life? You know, you're going to be somewhere forever. You're either going to be in the presence of the Lord or you're going to be in the absence of the Lord in a place that's not a very fun place to talk about. The Bible calls it hell. Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be with the Lord? Well, here's how you do that. Right now, here in this life, in this moment, you ask Jesus Christ to come and be your Savior. You ask him to come and live within your life and make a difference so that you are prepared for heaven. Jesus is coming back. We believe it could be soon. The things that we're seeing around us in the world today encourage us to make sure we're ready should he come today. Well, we'll see you tomorrow, and uh, we will talk about the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is the Old Testament Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. You can't miss this one. It's really important to understand this from the Old Testament tomorrow, right here on This Good Station. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God using this ministry in your life? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, on Turning Point. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance, This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance Set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. The late comedian Rodney Dangerfield used to say that he was so poor growing up that the rainbows in his neighborhood were black and white. Well, that's a humorous image. There's a serious side to that thought. 
I fear that many people never learn to enjoy the marvelous colors and beauty of God's creation. We charge through life with our head down, intent on reaching our goals, and we don't stop often enough to open our eyes and see the beauty of the creation and the people around us. So take a moment today to open your eyes, breathe deeply, and thank God for the gift of life. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's wonderful gifts on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.